Hello, Isaac. Thank you for Hello. being here today, talking about one of my favorite subjects. Yes, pleasure's all mine. I, I want to briefly shout out the people that manifested this into existence. Uh, Good idea. <laughs> Cheyenne and Emily, uh, thank you, ladies, for helping us out, because I followed your work. I only found your work maybe, uh, I think it was about nine months ago or so. I was digging in on Johnny Depp and Amber Heard, and you had an interesting Substack article. And I, I recall on that article, you mentioned certain parties. And I saw that you had an interest in Eyes Wide Shut, and I actually commented on it. I was like, me, 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 <laughs> you know, because I've been obsessing over this movie for years and years and years. Thank you for the opportunity to share what kind of wild and wacky journey there is when you get into this movie, uh, because there is a lot of interesting stuff when it comes to the, the overall conspiracy of what's going on with the elites, the Illuminati, what have you. And you should probably briefly explain why you are an expert on this. You wrote a book about it. Yeah. So <clears throat> over the years, I've written nine books. My second or third book was called Kubrick's Code. And I analyzed the symbolism of Stanley Kubrick and his most popular films, which would be 2001, Clockwork Orange, The Shining, and of course, Eyes Wide Shut. And when I wrote that, I've learned a lot since then, because we're going back probably about 10 years now. And there's the field of the the occult, which means hidden, or the field of symbolism is something that I've really dove deep into over the last five to ten years. Eyes Wide Shut's this phenomenon that the more you look at it, the more stuff you find. I've got hours and hours of podcasts right. where I talk about Eyes Wide Shut. Uh, we could talk about who Kubrick was, why there's a conspiracy about him in this movie, walk through the film, and then hit on a couple of the occult topics about what we see in the film. Yeah, I think that would be great. I'll just give a brief reference, kind of go back and explain how I am so interested in the film. And that's, you know, we saw it. I was dating my husband now. We were dating at the time. And I convinced him that, you know, we had to see this movie. So we sat through the, you know, it was, I think it was over two hours, right? It's a long, dark, sort of bleak film. And it was our first fight afterwards because he was oh. like, that was a terrible movie, right? You have to admit that was a terrible movie. And I was like, I can't, I have something about it. You know, it like, I couldn't explain why I liked it, but it was our first, I remember standing on my mom's um, doorstep arguing about it because he was just like, that was terrible. You know, there was no meaning there and it's, it was ridiculous. And I refused to agree with him. And then what's so crazy is I've watched it probably five times through the years. And like you said, every time I watch it, as more time goes by, everything becomes much clearer and makes a lot more sense. So it's one of these classic films that we come back to, you know, how many, how many years has it been? Like 20 years? Over yeah, it 20? was released in 99. So we're talking 20 yeah. years. Yeah. So 20 years later, everything is kind of making more sense. So that's why I think it's so interesting. And if you know anything about Kubrick, which obviously you do, there is so much to be said about his cryptic coded messaging and every single detail in that in the films, especially this one. So yes, I think it'd be great if you could kind of walk through the film and point out the most. I'd like to start with my my elevator speech of Eyes Wide Shut for people who maybe haven't seen it in a while or are wondering what we're gonna talk about. This is Stanley Kubrick's final film and it's coded with all of these hidden messages and hidden symbols. And even the name Eyes Wide Shut reveals the truth that this film is about two different realities, two different societies, a dream rainbow world accessible only to those initiated. And when you become initiated, you experienced the uh, what they call like the sex and death mysteries of the Illuminati. 
That's what he's showing us in the film. And you could take all these different sort of tangents through the movie, but that's kind of the theme I go with a lot. There's a million theories out there by a million theorists. And and real briefly, there's a there's a good background for why there is a conspiracy theory about this movie. Because uh, Stanley Kubrick, he was a bit of a recluse. He was sort of they used metaphors to Howard Hughes being a similar sort of eccentric character who who liked to sort of hide from the public, you know, because he moved to England in the 60s and, and never came back because he had this disdain for Hollywood. But all these things support the idea that Stanley Kubrick was either exposed, taking part of, or trying to reveal the truth about what happens in these inner circles of power and the elites. That's why he had a disdain for Hollywood and left and never came back, uh, as the theory goes, at least. Right. And then this film is his last film, right? So it's sort of his last attempt to get this message out, right? And he really kind of went all out on it. It's it's pretty blatant in his last effort. He was always obsessed with the... This film was based on a book called The Dream Novella or a.k.a. Trom Novella by a guy named Arthur Schnitzler. And Schnitzler was kind of a weird dude. They used to label him a pornographer. And he was eccentric, too. He kept a diary since he was 17 where he logged every single orgasm he ever had. Like, he was kind of a weird dude. <laughs> and Stanley Kubrick, oh, his whole life, wanted to make a movie based upon this novel. Uh, so I read the when, novel. When was the novel published? The early 1900s. Uh, it was before Kubrick was born. Um, but so early. he was inspired by this book for a very long time before the film. Yes. And and I read the book. And uh, as we go through the film, I'll sort of talk about some parallels and interesting things that you can find it from the storyline. Uh, but there's there's you know, and Kubrick was very much into sex and um, his longtime assistants, uh, Tony Fralin, he said that. Kubrick was always fascinated with pornography and erotic sexual imagery. And originally, he had talked about making Eyes Wide Shut a big-budget porno film. Was I remember reading about that, some of that. Yeah. There was and, speculation before about all that. And, and I actually, I took, I drug my wife, who I was dating at the time, when this movie came out. I drug her to the theaters. Um, we didn't get into a fight about it, but she just thought it was bizarre and weird, and so did I. But I, I was the same. I was drawn into it. Like I've always been intrigued by Kubrick. I grew up watching right. Kubrick movies, so I've always thought it was like really engaging to me on the subconscious level. I didn't yeah, know why. Kinda, yeah, it, it kind of sunk its claws in and sort of stays with you, right? Yeah, yeah. And then the more you learn, it's just it. It never stops being intriguing. And and I'm working on a deep dive into Twin Peaks right now, and. It's very similar. David Lynch and Stanley Kubrick have a lot of parallels. There's a lot of parallels between Eyes Wide Shut and Twin Peaks. Oh, uh, yeah, ton, tons of stuff. Yeah, but and, and it's the same thing. When I watched Twin Peaks, it it spoke to me on a subconscious level and and just you know grabbed me. And I'm like I'm thinking about it in my sleep sometimes. And I and that doesn't happen with every piece of media I consume. Right. Do you want to walk through the film? Yeah, let walk us through the film. The first shot of the film is Nicole Kidman dropping her dress. And it's very seductive. There's no apparent reason for this. I don't know if you remember, but back when this movie was released, it was a big to-do because you had Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman who were married at the time. And it was supposed to have all this sort of raunchy sex in it. And everyone was like really intrigued to go watch this thing, you know? Uh, so right off the bat, we get this sort of setup that this movie is about sex on some level. But you, you, if you dissect the scene symbolically, you can actually see red curtains, which is a, a theme in Twin Peaks. Uh, and the red curtains in Twin Peaks, it, it represents uh, going into a new realm. It's 
when you go to a movie theater, there's red curtains that co- that used to cover the theater. When the movie started, they would roll the curtains aside. Now they're just there stationary. And Stanley Kubrick was very much trying to initiate audiences. That's what 2001 A Space Odyssey was about. The monolith, the big, the big rectangular alien intelligence in 2001 was the dimensions of a movie screen. And, and that's what it's all about. That's what all these movies are about. It's about initiating the public unbeknownst to them through a ritual. So when you, when you start decoding some of this stuff, you'll see at the beginning, we're, we're still in like the opening scene of Eyes Wide Shut. They're walking you through Dr. Bill and Alice, which is Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman's characters. You're walking through their apartment and you'll see these red curtains. There's a lot of shots of the characters looking into mirrors predominantly it's alice looking in the mirror uh, which is gives us a lot of sort of duality elements and again it's that element of because mirrors symbolically represent entering a new realm that's why alice in wonderland is through the looking glass and that's why alice harford is named such she's named alice to draw analogies to alice in wonderland um so you you have all these sort of symbols throughout their apartment you've got when pillars that they show predominantly when they're introducing Alice and Bill, pillars represent Boaz and Yaquin. It's the entrance to the mystical place. That's what was that Temple of Solomon. Uh, so again, you just have all these symbols that right at the beginning of you're entering a new realm. And that's what's going to happen to the characters. They're going to enter this new dimension. They're going to go over the rainbow and see how the elites live, how the Illuminati, so, you know, quote unquote Illuminati, how they, um, do their rituals and events because Kubrick was obsessed. It's no secret that he was obsessed with these secret societies forever. Right. I mean, he was, he's, he's talked about it. He's talked about it in interviews and everybody knew this was about him. There's theories that he told Nicole Kidman that the, the whole world is run by pedophiles. That That's a, a, a theory you'll find online. I've never seen proof of that. I've never heard the audio of that. I, do, I it could be just pure. You know what's crazy is I, I I did publish that and I got a lot of um, flack for it, but I swear that I remember when she was promoting the film early on, and so much of what she said and so many of those early clips they've seemed like they've disappeared from the internet. So I don't know if it's you know something that I've um, imagined that I saw or if it really happened. It's so you know it's messed with your memory over twenty years, but now they're saying it's a, you know it's a conspiracy or whatever. But I do believe that she was talking about all this stuff during those early press days. That could be the case. I, I've witnessed the the censorship, and it becomes more clear over time as you try to research these topics. They are a hundred percent pushing anything speculative conspiracy to page 10 where no one goes uh, myself included I, i've been a, a, a i've been a victim a victim of the censorship <laughs> and haven't we all me too. Yes. <laughs> it's crazy well, though that yeah. we have to fight so hard to have these discussions be seen yeah and i'm not going to take it off a side tangent but i am not a qa non-believer i was very vocal against that movement in the in 2020 and i got a lot of flack for it I think that was a big psyop to discredit conspiracy theories, but I think anyway. so too. Yeah, I yeah. agree. But yeah. anyway, okay. So back to the film, I know lighting is a big symbolic thing too. the, the mm-hmm. rainbow lights, how the lighting switches throughout the film, right? They used a lot of blue lighting. And, uh, from what I've, what I've read, the blue lighting is supposed to, supposed to invoke this sort of dream 
like effect i i don't know it, it is true though when you watch the movie it's got a very uh, very sort of ethereal quality to it there's one theory i have about the movie that alice harford nicole kidman she represents the gnostic goddess of wisdom this they call her the sophia or the scarlet woman um and there's various reasons why i say that because in the movie there's many times where it's clear that bill is an idiot and alice knows everything uh, right at the beginning, Bill's like, oh, where's my wallet? Alice knows, boom, immediately. And, right. Oh, what's the name of the babysitter? Alice knows immediately. And and that's throughout the whole film. Bill's just like a total moron, and, and she knows it all, right? Right. Uh, because she is the goddess of wisdom. And symbolically, right at the beginning, you see, when you speak about the lighting, you'll see Bill emerging from a dark room. And Alice, she's always in a light room. And she's the, she's the illuminated, enlightened one, which is you know symbolism they use in freemasonry and a lot of these occult rituals uh one example would be in freemasonry they cover the eyes of the candidate with a uh, they call it a hoodwink uh which you'll see later on in the movie and the candidate there is supposed to represent their ignorance and they're living in the darkness and then when the they make it through the ritual they remove the hoodwink and now they can see now they've been enlightened their eyes have been open you know eyes wide shut eyes wide open um, but yeah, there's there's a lot to riff on with this whole goddess symbolism that you'll find in the movie. Uh, and I do have a, a, a sort of theory about it being the Gnostic Sophia of wisdom is, is kind of the short version of it. Okay. I haven't so, read. I have got to read about that one. Yeah, it's kind of it gets kind of deep into the Gnostic territories of things. Um, and with Gnosticism, it's basically a basically a belief that the world we live in is set up to worship a false god like the god of christianity is a false god and he's tricking us into worshiping him he's the devil and we need to find a way to sort of move up and past that god and go into the real heavens that's kind of the short version okay but, but you see all the symbolism right off the bat when, when they're, they're introducing bill and alice but then we get to the the party scene at, at ziegler's party and you'll see Bill and Alice, they walk into the mansion, and right off the bat, they're they're walking on the the, the tessellating black and white checkered floor, which is which is uh, which is the Freemasonic, uh, you know, they call it the Moses pavement. It's another symbol of duality of the black and white, um, and opposing polarities. It goes into all kinds of stuff, but it's a Freemason symbol basically. And when Bill and Alice they meet Ziegler, um. Ziegler is a German name for brick maker. Uh, and when you think about Freemasonry, that's where it started out. It started out as stonecutters and, and, and brick bricklayers. So there's oh my a little... gosh, I don't think I ever caught that. That's yeah. see, I'm learning something new already. <laughs> yeah, there's little nods to occult symbolism all over this thing. And then in the mansion, some more symbolism you'll find on the walls. There's there's eight pointed stars, and that's the star of Ishtar. And this is again another reference to uh, the worship of of the goddess. Anyways, you see this eight pointed star of the goddess in Ziegler's apartment, and you know Bill and Alice they split up, and Bill he's hanging out with an old uh, med school colleague named Nick Nightingale. Alice is hanging out with this older guy named Sandor uh, Savast, and uh, Sandor is wearing a a blue forget me not in his lapel, which is something that. The Freemasons do. Uh, it's, uh, that was a Freemason thing to begin with. All these people that Bill and Alice are associating with, they are Freemasons, and Bill doesn't know that. 
they're hanging out and and sandor he's doing a very seductive dance with nicole kidman's character alice he's a quarter inch from her face the whole time and he asked her if she's read um ovid's art of love i didn't know who ovid was i was like okay who's this and there's a book called mark booth's the secret history of the world which is sort of the hidden religions perspective of the history of the world and he says that ovid was in fact one of these initiates into this doctrine of this different way of looking at the world all right, so while Bill is getting, or I'm sorry, while Alice is getting hit on, so is Bill. Bill's getting hit on by two women, one's named Nuala Windsor. And of course, Windsor uh, evokes the name of the royal bloodlines, of course, because that's part of who the Illuminati is. Uh, but they talk about how, because there's, there's some rich symbolism in their story. They talk about how Bill was helping Nuala at Rockefeller Plaza. They said that she had something in her eye. And when you talk about Illuminati symbolism, the all-seeing eye is kind of the most common symbol that people talk about. It symbolizes enlightenment into the occult doctrine. Um, and, of course, the Rockefeller bloodline is supposedly one of the bloodlines of the Illuminati. And at Rockefeller Plaza, we have the Prometheus statue, which the Prometheus is one of the the archetypes of these occult doctrines they think that uh they, they take that story of prometheus very literal that there's a force there's an archetype there's a an entity a spirit whatever you want to call this there's a prometheus luciferian figure who is trying to help humanity wake up to the truth that their god is a a mean god and lucifer is trying to help man with technology and, and in the story in the mythology it's fire but lucifer is trying to help man with technology so that man can surpass the false god and this ties into all the conspiracies about a digital matrix and the transhumanism movement and all kinds of wild stuff uh but th anyway the prometheus statue is right there at rockefeller plaza where bill helped nuala windsor get something out of her eye uh you know he sort of opened her eyes Okay, that's another, another I've missed. I didn't pick up on that. Yeah, and what's really interesting is that the Rockefellers used to own a restaurant at Rockefeller Plaza called the Rainbow Room. And on the Rainbow Room floor, there is a giant eight-pointed star of Ishtar, which is what you see at Ziegler's place. Oh, my pretty God. Pretty crazy stuff. Yeah, I got to Google pictures of that. Yeah, yeah, check it out. It's pretty wild. Um, so the Rainbow Room. Yes, and and it's fitting because when they're having the conversation, Bill, you know, he's sort of being carted away by these two women, and he's and they're flirting, right? And and he says, "Wait, where are you guys taking me?" And the girls say, "Where the rainbow ends," and the right. symbolism of the rainbow just keeps recurring throughout the film because again, we're talking about the entrance to a new world, and just like in. The Wizard of Oz is somewhere over the rainbow. It's about entering a new dimension, a new world. Bill is going to be exposed to the Illuminati world, uh, which is a very different worldview than what the normies know about. So Ziegler, he summons Bill to come help him in the bathroom. A prostitute named Mandy overdosed. Uh, and he's very, you know, blase about the whole thing. Ziegler just wants to get back to the party and... And he's it's very kind of annoyed different. that he has this like overdosed prostitute, right? Yeah. And and I would think that most people would be a little concerned. Like you just met Ziegler's wife two seconds ago. 
And he just acts very blase about it with, with Dr. Bill. He's like, could you just kind of like patch her up? I got to get back down there. And it's, you know, it's just, a, it, it, it's a different society. And, you know, Bill's slowly being sort of exposed to this. And, and, and I often wonder after watching this so many times, if that wasn't the first test for Bill to see if he was going to be able to keep his mouth shut. Can he keep a secret? Because another theory is that Alice is in on all of this the whole time. Right. And, and they kind of. Maybe a test. setup. Yeah, it's like a setup, and it's like, will Bill tell his? Because you know, like, you know, if you tell me a secret, my wife's gonna find out. But especially if it involves an overdosed prostitute behind the scenes at a party, yeah, it's a big, it's a big detail. But he yeah. does keep the secret, right? Yes, yeah, and he does. And there's an important scene here because before Bill gets up to the bathroom, you'll notice that he actually ascends up a spiral staircase, and at the at the bottom of that staircase, there's a little table. There's two old men sitting at that table those two old men will be uh, very important to the end of the film so we're going to come back to that that's the first time they're seen is sitting at that table that's right implying they're part of this illuminati society right then after ziegler's party we get this is where the sex scene happens for two seconds with with tom cruise and nicole kidman um but they're making out they're looking in the mirror again symbolizing the entrance to the new realm and uh, this this scene angered a lot of people. The audiences were expecting this sort of over-the-top sex scene between these two married people, and they didn't get it. It was very short, <laughs> very abrupt. Then they go back to their normal jobs, you know, back to their nine-to-fives. They both seem fairly unsatisfied, uh, Alice more so. She's, you know, she's smoking one night, and she starts an argument with Bill about sex and fidelity and societal roles of marriages and you know bill doesn't get jealous and that makes her feel unwanted so she says hey you know what i had this fantasy one time and i i thought about leaving you for this this handsome naval officer one time and uh in in the dream novella it's it's a danish military officer it's nothing to do with the navy and this is where you might think that maybe there was a reason Kubrick chose a naval officer, and it could be because of L. Ron Hubbard, who is the founder of the Church of Scientology, Tom Cruise, and was, of course, is a you know, prominent member. But Kubrick's daughter, Vivian, she actually moved to America in 1994 and joined the Church of Scientology. That was before this, this movie was filmed. Yeah. Or so when this movie filmed, was she, a, was she an active member? Yeah. Okay. So... It kind of plays into the, the whole, I don't know, into this whole theory that maybe he, Kubrick was like upset about that. I, I don't know. Because when you allegedly, when you join the Church of Scientology, they, uh, from what I hear, they sort of have you withdraw from family members and friends. That would, of course, hurt. Well, we know that happened, if his daughter but, stopped talking to him. And we know it happened with Tom Cruise. He has no relationship with, you know, Surrey Cruise, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, he cut yeah. off all of his, or I mean, I don't know about all of them, but he definitely doesn't have a relationship with his daughter, Surrey, because of the church disconnect. I didn't know that about Kubrick's daughter. Yeah, yeah, and and, and you would know so more about some know of his motivations behind his like working motivations behind the film. It's kind of hard to pinpoint what they were. And and he was actually considering. Alec Baldwin and Kim Basinger to play the couple before he went with Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman, 
which is also interesting because Alec Baldwin, of course, is a very interesting character and allegedly was on the Lolita Express Epstein plane. Which... So he wanted a married, a real life married couple. Too. Seems that way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's all those, you know, we, there's a lot of um, sort of speculation about the torturous vibe on set between the couples, right? What he put them through. I mean, he's notorious for that, right? With yeah. his, with The Shining and Shelley Duvall and Jack Nicholson, how intense um, he sets up the circumstances of filming. So wasn't it, isn't it assumed that it was um, a really high tension set between Tom and Nicole during the filming? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And and you probably already know this, but there's when they were filming some of their sort of sex scenes, like for instance, when Nicole Kidman was making out with the naval officer, Tom Cruise wasn't allowed on that set. They kept him to, and this and and vice versa when Tom Cruise would walk around the sex house, you know, Nicole Kidman wasn't allowed on. And it sort of uh makes you wonder if he's not playing with their emotions and, and trying to trigger jealousy issues because that's kind of what the storyline is. Seems that way, yeah, that yeah. he sets up this, you know, sort of underlying tension on how on the circumstances in, you know, on on set. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I remember reading all about that before the film was released. Um there was a you know that was a big talking point too about the tension between the couple and then they did split up shortly after the film right yeah yeah and and i've i've read and this is probably more your forte than mine i've read there was claims that nicole kidman was never really interested in scientology but tom obviously wanted her to be involved uh, and then there's also theories about nicole kidman's father uh, and this is like some really rough allegations so I, I hesitate to say them out loud but there's allegations i know i i haven't know. ventured off into that rabbit hole yet but i mean maybe this is now with this conversation maybe we go there next um but yeah that's yeah. a whole other thing but so there's all of these elements surrounding this film it's yeah. it's crazy it's wild even if you look at it from not any of this occult stuff it's an interesting story with the idea of questioning monogamy and marriages and how much it shakes Bill to his core to think about his wife fantasizing about another man because that sort of sets him off on this journey that he goes through throughout the night. In the film, the phone rings, right? Heavy symbolism for sort of like shaking up and, uh, and a change of scenery. Bill's talking to a patient. He hangs up and he tells Alice, like, look, I got to go. And he says, I think I have to go over there and show my face, which is very prophetic for what actually happens that night when he goes to the orgy house and he's got a mask and he's told to take the mask off. So he goes over to Marion's house. Her father has died. She starts kissing on Dr. Bill. And in that apartment, there's a mask on the wall. And you'll see that mask later on at the Somerton orgy house, which, again, saying that there's a lot of people connected into this Illuminati, you know, party scene or whatever you want to call it. So Bill, he 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 shakes this all off. He's walking the streets, and there's an in interesting scene where he gets harassed by some young men who are all wearing Yale University apparel. And the implication here is that they're saying that Bill's gay for no apparent reason whatsoever. But the theory that's more interesting to me is that Yale, of course, is the home to the Skull and Bones Secret Society, where they do homosexual hazing rituals. Uh, supposedly they, I've heard that they can do, they'll do like anal or oral sex and coffins and they'll film this so that all these future, you know, leaders of whatever politicians, celebrities, whatever. I don't know what, <laughs> I don't know the pipeline of 
how you get from skull and bones to where you go. But the story is that they get blackmail on these people early um, on, like early, early on. So, it, and and it's really out of place in the movie when it happens. I mean, it sticks out like a sore thumb. You're like, well, I don't understand what this then, has to do. You know that he doesn't put anything in there that is not completely, you know, have some sort of deeper meaning. So it's not like you're yeah. there for for fun. Yeah, and 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 you know, it's in New York City. Uh, Yale's up, you know, further north. I don't know where it's at. Boston. I don't know near Harvard. Maybe the point is, uh, I think that's a, a reference to the Skull and Bones. Then Bill, he's sexually frustrated. It seems finds this prostitute named Domino and goes up to her room he's getting ready to sort of seal the deal and and he's going to have sex with his prostitute but then the phone rings again with the phone and it's his wife the all-knowing alice she knows something's about to go down so she calls him and he he takes the phone call and you see him go near a mirror and he's talking to her by a mirror and there's a book on the bookshelf uh, I forgot the title, but it says something about like looking in the mirror and constant you know, reference to duality and the reflections. Yeah, it, it's like he's he's flirting with this crossing over thing at this point. And what's also interesting is that Domino is played by an actress named Vanessa Shaw, who was in the original Hocus Pocus movie. And I did a deep dive into Hocus Pocus. I bought the book. So in the movie Hocus Pocus, there's this giant spell book. And in the movie, you see the book get thrown down and all these pages sort of fly by. And I'll I'll I'll, I'll uh, take movies and go frame by frame sometimes. It seems yeah. like that. I saw a really interesting combination of sort of Latin words. So I Google it and I find out that it came from this old book from the 80s that had a whole section on satanic witchcraft rituals where... And, and and worse than that, it was like sex magic rituals where the witches would pretend to have sex with the devil and they would chant these things. And that's in the that's in the movie Hocus Pocus. It's like right in the book. Oh, and you boy. wouldn't Yeah, you wouldn't think nothing of it, but I actually had to oh. buy this old book. I don't remember how much it was, but um anyway. Right. So Vanessa Shaw was in Hocus Pocus as well. Uh, and in Hocus Pocus 2, there's a scene where at the Halloween party, they're all it's an eyes wide shut party. I don't know if you've seen Hocus Pocus 2. No, do I now? I need to, I need adding it to the list. You don't need to watch it. It's not another that good. rabbit hole. Okay, it's you not get, that good. You but, give me but there's, a spoiler. <laughs> there's a party where they're wearing Venetian masks. Of course, it's not a cult ritual like an eyes wide shut, but it, it's still an interesting parallel. It's like the PG um, version. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, okay, so Bill gets distracted once again. His his sexual tension is rising. He then goes over to the Sonata Cafe, which is where his buddy Nick Nightingale said he was going to be playing piano. Goes over there, and um, Bill gets a drink. Nick comes over on break and starts talking to him about how he's getting ready to go over to this party where he plays piano blindfolded. And Bill's interested, right? Nick talks about how he's a traveling man, which is coded language for Freemasonry. They used to use that term because Freemasons used to have a sort of passport to go wherever they wanted because they were, you know, building stuff. Uh, so they that's a Freemason term to say you're a traveling man. Oh, and, and here's an interesting aspect. So Bill says, I want to go to this orgy party, this secret party. Nick says, well, there's a password to get into the mansion. And he writes it down on the napkin. It's Fidelio, of course. And Fidelio is a 
play by Beethoven about a woman who sacrifices herself for her man, which is something that's literally about to go down at this party. Now, what's really interesting is that the first screenplay wanted the password for this to be Oz, not Fidelia, which, of course, is Wizard of Oz, which, of course, is more of this rainbow symbolism. And and furthermore, uh, you know, David Lynch, who I'm studying right now for this Twin Peaks book I'm writing, there's a whole documentary about his obsession with the Wizard of Oz. He said there's not a day that goes by he doesn't think about the Wizard of Oz. Are you serious? That's what he said. Yeah. And there's a whole documentary about his obsession with the Wizard of Oz. And, and it's all over Twin Peaks. It's all over Eyes Wide Shut. I mean, it's crazy. So um, that's the driving force in his vision. Do you think Kubrick shared the same? Uh-huh. Uh, you do? Yeah. I, and I think it's because, you know, I grew up and I we never watched Disney movies in my house. And it wasn't like for any particular reason. We just didn't have the Disney channel. And my dad, you know, he watched horror movies. So I watched whatever he was watching. And my, I had babysitters and they brought over Alice in Wonderland, the VHS tape. And it, it absolutely blew my mind. I think that Alice in Wonderland speaks to people like you and I on a similar level, like Eyes Wide Shut, like Twin Peaks. There's a subconscious messaging of questioning reality or sort of crossing over. And, and the, whole, the whole story of Alice in Wonderland and even The Wizard of Oz is about questioning your reality. And right. about opening perspectives to other views. Um, that's right. why Alice starts out going underground because that's every initiation is that you start going underground because you have to take part of what they call the death and rebirth ritual. Um, Which anyway, is, but, also, yeah, both of these, all of these other films. Same. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and the, 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 Kubrick put originally the the password was Oz, but in the book Dream Novella, it's Denmark. So Kubrick, you know, totally had to play in making these, you know, Oz or Fidelio passwords. Um, but ultimately, he decided on the Fidelio. Yeah, yeah, and for a reason. Y- yeah. And and I don't know. It, I mean, I think it's because of the storyline fits into that. I'm I'm not really sure, but. Uh, Wizard of Oz and Rainbows is all over the place. In fact, the next scene, Bill goes, because he has to get a costume to go to this party. So he goes to a place called Rainbow Fashions. And when he approaches, he's able to choose going up or down the stairs. He goes over, up, above. Like So he goes over the rainbow. There's theories that this is a mind control element where... People who go over the rainbow enter a dissociated state. And when they go over the rainbow, they're sort of brainwashed and they serve their masters in a hypnotic trance and they perceive reality like it's a dream. Okay. Uh, so they kind of enter the dream world and, you know, they never come back in a way. And, and you see a lot of celebrities doing lots of weird things and having sort of multiple personalities sometimes. And we sure do. These- <laughs> Everyone, a lot of these theories come weird, from weird right? Things. right so um, he goes over the rainbow so he chose over the rainbow so the rainbow shop the owner is named millich he opens up the shop and he takes bill into the costume shop and there, there's his 14 year old daughter having sex with these two older asian men millich acts very upset by it later on in the movie you see he's absolutely okay with it in fact he even offers up his 14 year old daughter to bill 
right Very strange and another thing you'll see in that scene in the in the room where they're having sex there's again another eight pointed star of ishtar up on the wall again implying everyone's connected here right so milich's daughter she you know she whispers into bill's ear she says you should have a cloak lined with ermine ermine is a reference to sort of royal monarchy it's in the novel as well wait i don't remember this part she whispered that in his ear yeah i think you have to put on the subtitles to see that i'm not i'm not sure i I forget how i saw that but yeah knew that yeah she kind of like hides behind bill and whispers in his ear you know i i guess the theory there is that she's just referencing the sort of royal bloodlines there fine let's go to the orgy house the summerton orgy house uh bill finally makes it to the sex party he walks up to the gates and when he's walking you hear a crow calling three times this is the symbolic metaphor to peter denying christ from the bible which makes sense when you consider the theory that what we're witnessing is a Gnostic sex ritual. Because Gnosticism, like I said earlier, is about denying Christ as the true God. And it's a very heretical sort of religion. In fact, they competed with Christianity early on in the early days before they uh, had the you know Council of Nicaea and all that. And Iamblichus was part of this sort of campaign to shut down Gnosticism and dismiss it as a heresy. But uh, so there's a, there is a religious element there. Gnosticism is about inversion. Like I said earlier, it's about, no, it's about saying the God we're worshiping is the false God. You're inverting your reality. Okay. Okay. So the, the crow three. So the crow calls three times, and this okay. is the, you know, the metaphor to, to denying Christ that Peter, Peter heard, uh, the crow calling three times. So we get to the building, and oh, this is where we could talk about the Rothschilds. Uh, Nicole Kidman once had said that uh, Stanley Cooper is, is obsessed with the Rothschilds. Yes, and the Mentmore. I, th- I think th- I think there's like a French term for the building. I, I've heard it called the Mentmore Towers. Um, Are you, you're talking about where it's filmed. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the estate where where uh, the sex. The, the orgy scene happens it was built for uh, baron meyer amschel rothschilds and um you know there's there's i think you wrote a piece about this if i'm not mistaken in the 70s the rothschilds had a surrealist ball right which i think was like a salvador dolly idea right everything was sort of inverted they had menus that everything was written in backwards yes yes uh, and it, a very gnostic sort of idea you know alistair crowley was talking about reverse speech and things like that as well um Constant and they were goals of like inversion um even in their parties and celebrations yeah and and they wore the you know the crazy masks and stuff yeah everyone's and, face was sort of covered yeah and and this is and this and this is an older idea too if you go back to like the dashwood um the hellfire caves where they would go underground and have satanic parties and sex orgies. And the idea was that the elites could wear masks and they could um, sort of not be held accountable for what they were doing down there because no one could tell if it was them or not. That was the original idea. So having your identity shielded. And also, I guess, even um, with the underground sort of theories, even with these modern day tunnels that are, you know, in a lot of these islands and things there's always (laughs) underground access right yeah yeah yep um 
Well, the and and when we're talking about the mask as well, it also is part of a initiation ritual in a way that it suppresses the ego and it allows you to sort of feel anonymous. If it, it's kind of like dressing up for Halloween, you feel like you're a different person. And again, it's about the idea of changing your perspective on reality. That's why the song, um, the song you hear when they're when they're when they first enters the the orgy house, it's a, a song in reverse. It's called the masked ball, and it's a, actually a backwards recording of Romanian Orthodox priests. So Kubrick um, did that. He reversed the music for that. Well, I don't know if he did it specifically. Jocelyn Pook was the co the composer of that. I don't know if he if he was the one responsible for doing that or if she. I I don't know the answer to that. I couldn't I mean, tell you. That's the a good question. Is such a powerful aspect in that that whole scene. You know, at the I mean, the music it it's haunting, and that's another aspect that stays with you. I can yeah. hear it right now that whole yeah, that, like you know, pounding. Yeah, and and it's and it's very very powerful when it comes to ritual because in fact the symbolism of that song goes even further because it was on her album called the flood so symbolically it's an inversion because bill harford went he found the rainbow before we hear the flood which is a reversal of you know god had the great flood the deluge and then gave us the rainbow to sort of say hey sorry i'm not gonna do that again like you can get as crazy as you want with eyes wide shut um, well that's why it's such a great film i think because it's sort of endless yeah and and the the masks in fact there's a there's a town called milton Keynes in england that has all these statues in the sort of i don't know town square and the rothschilds family they're the largest landowners of this city and this is also the same place where those hellfire caves were located well in that town square there's all these statues and they have the same venetian masks that you see in the movie i mean literally the same masks okay i'm gonna look that up I yeah uh so anyways yeah like i said you can go as deep as you want but this scene's just full of kind of wild symbolism and when you watch the ritual unfold nick of course is blindfolded playing the piano and then you've got this sort of master of ceremonies they call red cloak and he's commanding the female performers to undress and kiss each other like he slams a cane uh as the master of ceremonies and, and some people say this is referring to mind control programmed women sex slaves they call them beta kitten programming sometimes uh, i don't know i don't know if it's that or if they're just taking part of the ritual but they okay. they do they do what they're sort of told to do and they go around they grab different men of course one grabs bill and escorts him around and this, this is where it's really interesting because they uh the film was threatened with an nc-17 rating for this scene and there is some parts of this that are blacked out but i had a uh there's a director named ryan page i interviewed on my show he had found a during the scene I, I don't know which copy he had of the film but he sent me the image there is a man being used as a piece of furniture that two people are having sex on top of this man and he's sort of on all fours and this um, is cut from the original um version yeah, i mean yes. from the, the, okay because they they were threatening with an nc-17 rating and he wanted to get it down to an r 
because I've, i wasn't there 20 minutes cut out that that's one of the main theories and i was going to kind of hit that okay if, so, when we wrap up to sort of like put a cap on this whole what's going on okay in this but movie. so you're saying you saw this scene with the man used as furniture uh-huh. okay. i have yes yep and and if you watch the you know i've got the the version i bought on amazon and it's not there but i've i've for sure seen i can send you the image um please do yeah yeah that's uh, really weird why that of everything yeah people having sex you know i mean in all sorts of variations in that in those few minutes yeah yeah it's really weird especially when you get into some of the outlandish theories about wayfair supposedly messing with stuff like that uh it, it was a really weird really weird connection to it find makes when you wonder we why it. that of all of the things was taken out right yeah mm-hmm. okay so he's in this party He's in the middle of a ritual without really realizing it, right? He's mm-hmm. still sort of clueless. Yeah. And and Bill's his, his lady, his escort lady there, she's like you got to leave, you're in danger. And he sort of sticks sticks around too long and he ends up getting escorted back to the the ritual room where the red cloak guy is and he's sitting on a double-headed eagle chair, which again, a Freemasonic symbol for the 33rd degree is the double-headed eagle. What is and it that he, gives him away? What gives him, what what is it that gives him away um as you know an intruder or whatever? I, I don't know. I don't know. They they seem to know. They do. And, yeah. and it makes you wonder if it's not part of if this wasn't mapped out way back at the beginning, way back before Ziegler's party, that they knew they could get Bill to go to this thing. So it know. so it kind of goes back to it being possibly a setup. Possibly. There yeah. and they're all in masks, you know, they're all shielded, their identities are shielding, but they seem to know, they seem to, you know, suspect that he shouldn't, he's he's an outsider. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he's brought and, and that's what that, that's kind of what I think is going on, is they're testing him to see if he can keep a secret, is what okay. it seems like. Uh, but yeah, they 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 catch on that he's not he doesn't belong there. And they, you know, they basically call him out, say, hey, we need we need you to give us the password. And he says, Fidelio again. They said, no, 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 there's two passwords. There's the deeper inner chamber password, which is very uh, symbolic to the structure of a lot of these organizations of secret societies and the Freemasons. It's like the the order within the order, you know, in the in the occult, they reference the star Sirius, they call it the sun behind the sun. There's always like different, it's like Russian dolls. You know, you keep, you keep trying right. to peel the layers back and it keeps going. So, so they ask him to leave and they basically make him take the vow of silence. And they're like, look, if you, if you say anything, we're going to, we're going to kill your whole family or whatever. Right. They threaten him. Right. And, and you know, so, so Bill basically witnesses this whole, um, this whole ritual and and the ritual happened around 3 a.m by the way which again the inverting it's the it's the witching hour because it's the inversion of the hour that christ died on the cross at 3 p.m that's why you people hear all the strange noises at 3 a.m that's the, you know superstitious stuff of things dark occult activity happening at 3 a.m that's when 3 the, party is the inverted hour yes Okay. And how do we know that it happens at 3 a.m.? I don't remember any sort of time stamp. Uh, yes. It, it's, <laughs> I, I piece that together from, there's a couple time references in the movie 
Uh, I could dig those out. It's and send all them to in you. one night. You know, this is a long stretch mm -hmm. of one, right? It's yeah. It, you can tell because I think Nick Nightingale at the Sonata Cafe references what time it is, and then the next morning when Bill goes around to try to figure out what was going on, uh, someone mentions how you know Nick came back to the hotel at four a.m. or something like that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So you kind of you kind of have to piece it together. It's not directly stated. Right. Makes sense. Yeah. And well, so while he's okay, so he gets he gets caught up. They say, "What's the real password?" He doesn't know. They're threatening him, and then a woman comes out. The woman that was escorting him around, she basically says, "Look, like, look, you can take me as a sacrifice if you let him go." And they tell him, "Like, okay, buddy, you're out of here. She's going to take care of this." And then he never knows knows what happens to her. Um, and what's really interesting about this. Uh, Stanley Kubrick met his wife, Chris, uh, Christine Harlan, at a masked ball, and Kubrick was the only one there without a costume at this masked ball, which is, it's just really bizarre to me. But it, was this um, in England? <laughs> what's that? Was it in England? Uh, or I, States? It must have been in England. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, very weird. Never heard that uh, before. So, so Bill gets out of there. And he goes back home. He looks into his daughter's room. She's sleeping. He's, you know, he's shook by all this. And you can see above her bed, there's artwork. And you can see the letters S-E-X on this artwork above his daughter's bed. Very weird. Right. That, <laughs> I didn't get, I didn't catch that till my, the, the, this latest viewing. It's crazy. Yeah. It's pretty plain as day when you know it's there. You're like, oh, geez. And a child's room. Yeah. And I I had heard that his Kubrick's wife selected all the art for all the sets in in the Bill and Alice's home. So right, I thought they even maybe used some of their furniture or something. Wasn't it kind of modeled after their real home? The oh, company? maybe I don't know. I yeah, heard that. I think I read a whole thing about how it was um, modeled after their home. Hmm. I'll, I'll have to dive back into that, but yeah, there's some weird things with the interiors and her involvement and stuff. Yeah. So uh, he, then he goes to his room. Alice is having a dream. She says, oh, I saw you naked in a garden, which, of course, makes me think of the Garden of Eden uh, because the serpent opens the eyes of Adam and Eve. And that's the, supposed to be the Gnostic wisdom. And, and, you know, now their eyes are wide open, which is why they get embarrassed and they sort of cover up with fig leaves because before the serpent wakes them up in the Garden of Eden, they're walking around naked. They don't think nothing of it. So Bill, he's like, what do you mean in your dream? You know, give me more information about this. And she says, oh, no, it's too awful. And Bill says, but it's only a dream. And we talked earlier about Bill going over the rainbow, which means that person perceives reality like it's a dream. So now we start wondering where the lines are blurring. And is this all a dream or what's, you know, what's reality at this point? Right. It's all blurred. Uh-huh. And, you know, it's very sort of Twin Peaks-ish. So Bill goes around and he's trying to sort of find answers. He revisits most of the places from the night before and he can't quite get all the answers he wants. Uh, he go even goes up to the gates at the, the you know, the Summerton, the orgy house there. And he's given an envelope saying that, look, we know who you are. This is your final warning. Uh, you know, they're they're basically threatening him with his life if he keeps snooping around he goes to Domino's. somebody's watching him 
I mean, he's being watched. Yes. Yep. And he's and he's got a literal tail following him around that he catches. A guy with a bald head looks like Aleister Crowley. Oh, right. Uh, following him around. Yeah, he he's, he notices it. And when he sees the guy following him around, he he ducks into a coffee shop. And he picks up a newspaper headline, and it's about a woman who died named Amanda Curran. Now, this was Mandy. This is the woman who overdosed in Ziegler's bathroom at the beginning. Uh, but she didn't die at the beginning. She just overdosed. And if you zoom in, this is where it gets really weird. If you zoom in on that newspaper article, you can read it. Uh, the, you know, the the high definition was enough that you can read this article. And it says that she had important friends in fashion and the entertainment world. And that she did private seductive performances and that she dated a guy named Leon Vitale. Leon Vitale was actually uh, in the movie. He's actually a very close friend of Stanley Kubrick, a lifelong friend. He played the role of Red Cloak. He was the Red Cloak <laughs> in the Wait, movie. What? Yeah. Yeah, so Mandy, who... And, who overdosed in the beginning. Who overdosed in the beginning, and they think that, that there's theories that Mandy was the woman who sacrificed herself at the Somerton orgy for Bill. And that's that's where the story goes, is is this woman who said, stop, I'll, t- I'll sacrifice myself for Bill. She actually gets murdered. And it shows up in the newspaper the next day. Bill reads it, and he says, oh, my God, like, that woman died, and she didn't die from an overdose. She died at this weird party and of course this isn't mentioned in the storyline at all but in the newspaper article it says that mandy amanda curran was dating a guy named leon vitale and leon vitale plays the role of red cloak in the movie wow and it's kind of this weird blurring of the dream world and the real world and it's like where where do the lines cross then it gets even weirder yet Stanley Kubrick hired a New York Post journalist named Larry Salona to write this fake newspaper article, which is pretty, I mean, that's pretty detail-oriented, right? And Larry Salona was a very prolific journalist. He was the first to publish the the Epstein body photos when he died, when he killed himself. And he also broke the story about Ghislaine Maxwell getting arrested. So the theory is that Larry Salona was very aware of Epstein's connections to entertainment, fashion, and celebrities, which is exactly what the newspaper article says. So that newspaper, in Eyes Wide Shut, could be a, a veiled reference to Epstein. And, you know, and it's, all, again, interesting oh that... Oh my gosh, you're blowing my mind. I did, I've <laughs> never read that. But it, I mean, yeah. so he hired a very specific journalist, a respected journalist, to write this fake newspaper article that seems to be a veiled reference to somebody with these connections to the fashion industry and entertainment. I mean, it it makes so much sense, right? And 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 the fact that Kubrick was considering Alec Baldwin to play the Bill Harford role, and Alec Baldwin was on the Epstein flight logs. I I don't know. And then, and then in the movie Lolita, there was this whole storyline about this weird ranch out in New Mexico, which Epstein had one. Uh, so anyway, well, it, it, yeah, it's hard to believe that he didn't have some idea about you know what was going. If he, if he's so much into, um, it, I mean, if he he knows so much about these secret societies, it's kind of impossible to think that he wouldn't know about what was going on. You know, with this whole elite circle, sex trafficking, right. 
and and that's and that's one of the main theories about what this movie is about it's it's trying to reveal uh some sex trafficking which we're going to get to here real soon we're getting we're wrapping okay. it up here I'm soon gonna let, i'm gonna let you go you okay. take it away so bill he goes to the morgue to confirm that it's really the same you know mandy from ziegler's party fun fact the room that they have her in is uh, on the door you can see it's crm 114 well crm 114 just happens to be the medication that alex from a clockwork orange is taking that makes him go kind of loopy uh i you know weird reference i don't know but it's there okay so now we're getting close to the end ziegler who is the you know a uh, high up here on some level he summons for bill harford to come up to his uh pool hall there or you know his room where he's got a pool table ziegler knows that bill was at the orgy house and now he's trying to sort of gaslight bill into what he actually saw and he starts shaming bill and he he ziegler's like look i saw you with nick we and you know we had you tailed um we know you went looking around snooping around for answers the next day and this is the scene that took i read that it took three weeks and 200 takes to get through this scene because the the dialogue and bill he starts talking about how he's like yeah i know but you know amanda died and and he's he's questioning this whole thing right he's like all these people are connected and ziegler says if i told he says, I'm, I can't tell you about it, but if I told you about it, if I told you the names of the people involved, you wouldn't sleep at night. Then in the next breath, he says, what if I told you this was all staged? What if this was all fake, a charade? And it's and it's really kind of strange to think of it that way because that's what the movie feels like. Is this a ritual? Is he being groomed for to join the Illuminati? Was it fake? Who was the ritual for? But we don't really get a, a clear answer by the end of the movie. Uh, but my so interpretation confused, and the audience is also confused as to what is real in this situation. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that Ziegler's the Illuminati and he's sort of threatening bill like, Hey, you know, if you, if you reveal any of these secrets, you're, you're dead. Um, but if he does keep the secrets, he can move up within this organization. And now they've already got this blackmail on him. You know, you've got this, this uh you know family friendly physician well what's he doing going to sex parties and all this crazy stuff you know so they kind of already have the blackmail so his options are look you, you can either go along with the program and be rich and attend all these crazy parties or you can go against us and we'll shut your whole thing down and, and kill you or your family or all of you you know so it's not much of a choice so bill goes back home uh you know he sort of pops a beer and resolves to this this uh life that he's 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 chosen he's going to kind of keep his mouth shut and he goes to his room and he sees a mask on the pillow next to alice which we never get an answer as to why that mask is there i hate that mask there because it drives I, crazy I, I why know, was I, it there i don't know and i wish i had a good answer but the, the closest thing i can think is that this whole time alice has been part of this group uh, that's the only thing that makes sense how could she not yes or she found the mask and she's like oh i'm gonna talk to him about this mask what's this mask doing in my house and she put it on his pillow i don't know right uh one of the mysteries one of the many mysteries so now we're getting to the final scene the the, the denouement they're wrapping it up we're at the toy store and bill and alice they you know it's christmas time they're they're 
they're they're going to the the store presumably christmas shopping they take their daughter helena uh you know helena's i don't know i don't have kids she's like five ish and you see all the symbolism there you see the magic circle game and there was a magic circle at the Summerton Orgy House. That's the the women, the the magical consorts in the circle. You see stuffed tigers. Well, those that was the same stuffed tiger that you find at Domino's apartment. The prostitute. She had the same exact stuffed tiger. You see stars everywhere, which are pentagrams. You see stuffed teddy bears everywhere, which is symbolism of uh, child abuse. Uh, you see that in. Obviously, not every stuffed teddy bear means child abuse, but Stanley Kubrick used that symbolism in The Shining. Right. Uh, you had Danny. Danny was traumatized, and he was laying on the big teddy bears. You had the weird fellatio bear performing oral on a... Which, by the way, has scarred me more than any scene in film. <laughs> it's, it's I'm walking upsetting. in on the bear, and I just, like, I've never been okay since. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. Okay. So the teddy bears are a sinister symbol. Yes. And then uh, recall Balenciaga was in a bit of controversy not too long ago, and there was teddy bears involved there. Right. And if you and this is teddy bears. <laughs> <laughs> and and this is the, the 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 worst part of the movie is if you watch it, Bill and Alice are having a conversation, and in the background behind them, they kind they kind of wave to Helena, their daughter. And Helena, meet, she sort of like links up with these two old men and they sort of escort her away down a different aisle. And Bill and Alice kind of wave goodbye to her almost. And it's really weird. And those are the two old men. Remember earlier we were talking about the spiral staircase at Ziegler's party. There was two old men sitting there. Same two old men. They take her away. And, you know, Bill and Alice, they continue to have the conversation. And, you know, he says, you know, no, they talk about dreams. They said, no dream is ever just a dream. And, you know, there's only one thing left to do, and that's to make love. Okay. And there's a lot of weird things you see because it's a very explosive ending. If you think of it in the way that they are more or less offering up their daughter to this Illuminati group in a way is what it seems like it is. Uh, I've read the book, The Making of Eyes Wide Shut, and they have a whole section on the conspiracy theories about the movie, and they heavily dismiss that idea. They hate that theory. And they, they, That's they not a dismi- popular theory. No. And, and they dismiss it by saying, well, you know, they probably just had this, this, you know, they were trying to save money on the casting and the, you know, those two old men were casted earlier and they just used them again. And I'm just like, no freaking way. I just feel like nothing in Kubrick is coincidence. That's, that's like, a just, that's known, Not, nothing yeah. coincidence. So to have those two men repeated is not, it was not accidental. It wasn't uh, I don't, I, I don't think so either. Right. Yeah, uh, it's a very it leaves you with a very dark feeling because you do notice her kind of wandering off with these two strangers. So to sum up everything we're talking about here, this film has had a lot of impact. It's been referenced many times. Katie Couric, in fact, recently said she went to and she even called it an eyes wide shut type party. Uh, a couple of years ago she said that. Um Amber Heard and Elon Musk attended similar kind of parties, right? And the weird thing about the movie is that Stanley Kubrick died 
after the film's completion, but before it was released. So the timing is pretty wild that he would die right between those two events. Now, I've got a much longer talk, but we're, I can see we're out of time here, but there's there's themes of sex, death, and wisdom, which I'll just say that those are elements you'll find when you start researching the occult. Those are the recurring themes over and over and over and over. Uh, those are the things that make the world go round. It's chock full of the whole movie. Uh, but one idea that uh, we could focus in on, like the Illuminati idea, one idea is that these Illuminati elites, they are just simply fertility cults. And the the goddess, is, you know, the Gnostic Sophia, as we were talking about, she needs a male consort, an opposing polarity force. And that's why they have this fertility cult is to sort of reenact sex rituals. Um, uh, an example of what I... What I could say is like you have the uh, the Shiva and the Shakti. The the Hindus think that the male force of the Shiva and the female force of the Shakti are locked in union, and that's what makes our universe sort of exist. Uh, but there is a belief that this new the the occult doctrine is what they want to instill upon the masses, and they are going to revolutionize mankind and bring about the final age of man. And I don't know if Kubrick was supportive of these things or trying to expose these things. If you go with the theory that, because the theory about the cut footage, right? There's people that claim there's 20 to 25 minutes of footage cut from this film. And what there was, what the theory is, is that Stanley Kubrick, who obviously a very prolific director had contracts that he had final cut rights he had cr full creative control in his movies which isn't something everybody gets he had final cut rights and whatever he said that movie was going to look like in the end was what it was going to look like supposedly he sat down Nicole Kidman Tom Cruise and some Warner Brothers executives in a room said here's the final cut Leon Vitale confirmed that he said yes that he showed his final cut to all those people and he showed them the final cut then he dies uh, I don't know, a couple weeks later, because there's some, still some post-editing they got to do where they got to sort of clean up some sound or whatever it is they do. And then the film gets released a few months after that. The theory is that Warner Brothers cut out 24 minutes-ish of this film after Kubrick died because they couldn't have done that while he was alive. And the idea is that they cut out footage because it revealed too much of what goes on in these sort of Illuminati circles. Yes. So and we'll it, never know. We'll never know. I, I don't know. I, I would love to see this 24 minutes if they exist. I would, I would give anything to see them. Uh, but the, but it's that's just a theory. Um, there's no proof that as far as I could tell that I've ever seen that there was footage cut out of this thing. Uh, besides that NC-17 aspect where they were getting rid of some of the imagery from the film. Uh, but, you know. And another interpretation is, you know, this whole dream world. That's, you know, it's called uh, the, the dream novella is what the story is based upon. And it's about this fluid boundary between the dream world and the reality world. And again, without going too deep into the occult, you find that a lot of these occultists, they practice ritual magic because they do believe that there is a fluid boundary and they can make changes to reality. 
by doing certain rituals. So, like, in conclusion, we're left with questions. Was Kubrick aware of these forces? Was he intending to reveal them for us? Or was he working for the Illuminati in a sort of mass ritual initiation where we all witness these things and, you know, much like Alice in Wonderland or Wizard of Oz, where we meant to sort of change our perspectives of reality? And and whose team was he on? I don't know. I don't know those answers. But I know that there's... Did Lots he film the fake here. moon landing? <laughs> yeah, yes, he definitely did that. I believe that wholeheartedly. Right. I mean, we need we need a whole nother hour and a half at least. Um, Kubrick, you can go all. I mean, I never get tired of it. Hopefully, everyone feels the same way. But um, okay, well, thank you so much for this very in depth breakdown. Do you want to let everyone know where they can follow your work and what you're up to? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so. My website is IlluminatiWatcher.com, which you can go to, sign up for my free email newsletter, and I will send you my first book for free. Uh, if you consume podcasts, I'm everywhere at a podcast I do called Occult Symbolism and Pop Culture, where I talk about all these things that I've been talking about for the last bit. Uh, I'm on Instagram, at Isaac Weishaupt. I'm also, I've written nine books. They're all on Amazon. I narrated them on Audible as well. So I'm kind of everywhere, depending on which format you're trying to consume the content. You are a busy guy. Yes. I'm very busy, yes. I have like 15 other topics I need to have you back on to discuss. I so would absolutely adore and love that if I could do that, yes. All right, thank you, Isaac. <laughs> thank you, appreciate it.